0: Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host Anthony Petralis, and we are so excited today. You know, we're, we're going to be sinking our feet into the world of high school basketball, and I couldn't think of a better coach to kind of get started with than our next guest that we have on today. So I'm going to take a second and read some of the accolades that this coach has under their belt. There's so many. I'm just going to kind of be looking down a little bit. how to write this all this stuff down. I feel like it's a it's a high school paper all over again. So, um, you know, our coach is the current head coach at uh, Braintree Girls Basketball High School from 2019. The current was 17. Uh, 17- year head coach of bishop fee in high school for the boys team um along with coach and some of the accolades that this coach has won over the years it was a five-time eastern atlantic conference league champion and there are some great teams that we're going to talk about in that league uh, later on and and uh you know you're going to see it's a tough league to be playing in. Um, was the Mass Basketball Coaches Association Coach of the Year in 2013-2014 season, and was the 2013 Coaches Award for Sportsmanship, the Scully Award. It's given by actually the referees, the officials of basketball. So we're going to be diving, we're going to be diving into that a little bit more, too, because that's an incredible award to be winning. So without further ado today, I'm really excited for our, our guest here, uh, the head basketball coach of Braintree Girls Basketball, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Freeman. Hi, Anthony. How's it going?
1: Really happy to be here. Appreciate all the work you're doing. It's uh, quite an honor to do a little research on your beyond X's and O's and uh, have an opportunity to be a part of it. And, uh,
0: yeah.
1: I'm kind of uh, <laughs> humbled because you said you your philosophy is to try to find some coaches with, as you call it, compelling stories, I think is the word you use. So I don't know if I rise to that level, but uh, it's, a, it's an honor to be with you tonight. So thank yeah.
0: you very much. Listen, I'm only here to report the facts, man, and the facts are the facts. So you, you've done some great things, and we're going to dive into that. Thank so, you. you know, every every coach that I kind of talk to, um, you know, the first question that I really ask them is just, how did you get into coaching? I, I mean, I know you were a very good high school basketball player. You played basketball at Williams. You were stud there. Uh, so really talk a little bit about uh, how you got started into the world of high school basketball.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, in terms of playing career, you know, I was – Played on some really good teams in the high school and college level and NCAA tournaments and state tournaments. I was fortunate to be part of a high school team that, that made it to the final four in the state and played in the old Boston Garden, probably before, when you were in diapers probably, Anthony, <laughs> and uh, played in some NCAA tournaments at the college level. And uh, always loved the game, was always really passionate about the game. And uh, however, when, when my college career ended, um, you know, I kind of just figured I'd play men's league ball for a while. And get a, get a quote, real job. And, uh, and that's what I thought I would do. I actually started my career in the insurance business and uh, wasn't particularly successful. And I kind of came on to teaching and coaching almost, you know, sort of by accident. I was jobless a few months out of college and started randomly substitute teaching in my local high school, um, King Philip, where I was living in Rentham at the time. And, uh, very, very good friend of mine, Don Byron, who has been the head coach at a number of different schools over the years and is currently at Oliver Ames, had coached me in the Bay State games in high school. And uh, he advertised for a JV job at Walpole High. And I just kind of called him up, hadn't talked to him in a year or two, and asked him if he'd consider having me. And at the same time, a long-term substitute job in social studies opened up for me. And I took that. And, you uh, know, the rest is kind of history. I sort of uh, – I was a JV coach there for, for a few years and found that I loved it. And I, I absolutely loved the, the school schedule. And teaching and coaching sort of blossomed, you know, from there.
0: Yeah, and that's great. And I know you got your start at Walpole, but you, you were also able to, after a few years of coaching there, you ended up getting to Bishop Fian, where you played at high school. And let's, I mean, let's just talk about it for a second. You're yep. in the Sports Hall of Fame. You're a 1,000-point scorer, I believe, if I remember off the top of my head, 1,057 points correct awesome okay so okay so a thousand point score is a thousand point score and and that means you're a very good player so talk about being a very good player there and then coming back as an assistant because i remember i did that at arlington catholic and you know you come back as a 22 23 year old kid and you're like i know everything about football (laughs) Uh, but when you jump into the coaching world you're like i don't i don't know anything right yeah well i you know after i had gotten four
1: years of, of jv under my belt you know my high school coach leo sharon um, who was still the the fiend coach at that time, um, knew that I had gone for the Walpole varsity job and uh, had had not gotten it, which was you know somewhat disappointing. But you know it was my first job I'd ever really gone for varsity and didn't work out. So you know I was kind of disappointed, but it wasn't it wasn't like shell shock. You know it's like okay time to move on, and I so I had a few months there where I didn't have any coaching job at all. So I. I didn't really know where I was going at that time. Uh, At the same time, the JV coach at Fian at that time, had decided not to come back uh, the following year. So I think it was sometime over that summer, uh, Leo reached out to me and said, hey, I know you don't have a coaching job. You want to come back and help me out at at Bishop Fian, be my JV coach? And I I couldn't have said yes fast enough. I mean, you know, I think you'd find a lot of – you wouldn't – I think you'd find a lot of guys and and ladies who, if you could – asked them what their, if they want to be high school coaches and what their dream job might be, it would probably be an honor. They'd say to to go back to their own high school and, uh, you know, and and coach there. And that was, that was, there was no exception to that in my case. That was, I jumped at the opportunity. I didn't have any illusions. I thought Leo would be there for a lot more years. And so I just said, this is going to be fun. I get to go back to my school or I have so much pride and, uh, that was a that was a wonderful two years of, of jv experience and i learned a lot from my high school coach. who so saw him in a different light you know as opposed to you know barking out orders for me to follow as a player you know that uh, almost a decade later it's okay now i'm actually probing and watching and, and seeing how he does things and thinking more like a coach as opposed to a player you know? and after a couple of years um leo's son had been a senior on the team and leo had decided to retire from coaching and after six years of JV uh, I, I not for a second did I think that I had all the answers to everything but I was certainly ready to take the plunge and I you know again it's just JV but I coached over a hundred, 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 hundred twenty 120 games of JV at that point I was I was ready you know I wasn't brash I, I was I think I've always been a, a relatively humble guy um, but I was excited and I, I thought I knew enough that I could take the reins and and produce a competitive Um, produce a competitive team and program and 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 build build a program up and hopefully maintain the level that that my coach had established if not if not take it to an even higher level so it was it was daunting but uh, I was excited I was I was um, I was thankful for the for the opportunity and let the games begin. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. So, <clears throat> I, I mean, it, it's amazing, right? Because, you know, I share that experience with you. I went to Alta Catholic. I coached there as an assistant for a long time and, and, and took over as head coach. And, um, you know, it, it's just something about going to high school, um, and coaching at that place and walk in the hallways in, in a different light, you know, and, and that place produced you, made you, you know, somewhat the person that you are and you're able to come back and now pass that on. It's just, it's a cool experience to share. And I totally understand what you're saying about that. Um, when you take over a program like that, especially where you had such a good relationship with the coach and you play there, what was something you did to kind of blueprint it to be yours? I mean, I, most coaches that I talk to, they don't change everything right they they look at the program and they and they kind of figure out what they want to do what was that for
1: sure. you it's a good question i <laughs> i think that as a player and to some extent as a as a jv coach um, i was kind of an offensive player some might say offensive but i, no, I was a, i was a very offensive player. i like to run the floor to shoot the ball i like the offensive rebound i like to score you know and i never made any bones about that and i like to I always enjoyed producing players who like to score, you know, and give them a lot of freedom. And the defensive side of the floor, you can ask my former coaches and <laughs> and, and maybe some of the coaches I worked with. Uh, defense was not something that was necessarily my strong suit <laughs> as a player. I think that carried over into my early years of coaching where I didn't, you know, I never implemented a lot of that knowledge as a player and, my, and a JV coach, but I realized that, if I want to be a successful varsity coach, I need to reemphasize the defense of them to the floor. So I paid particular close attention to how to run a constructive shell drill and defensive transition drills and half court defense and, you know, post defense and denying the post and boxing out drills. And I really sort of sunk my teeth into those kinds of fundamentals, um, as opposed to just worrying about trying to outscore the opponent. <laughs> I realized that, you know, if you could have a better balance, you know, um, and then the other thing I would, I would say is just the, the relationships, you know, with the kids. I I realized very early in my varsity coaching career that the best, you know, using my psychology background, the way I was going to get the, the op, you know, the optimal amount of performance out of my players was to develop those interpersonal relationships and try to build team camaraderie. And I, you know, always tried to do a lot of that, you know, in my, in the teams that i coached coached. And it's not, it hasn't always been successful. I've had, Teams that were very, very tight-knit and together, and I've had teams that were, you know, a little scattered and, and not as much so, and there's no question about it. When you have the latter, it's going to be really, it's going to be a lot tougher to sort of mold you know, the kind of team and the kind of success that, that you dream of.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? It's not about trying to be something that you're not or trying to be someone else. It's about being you and kind of looking at the talent you have. I mean, that's anybody who takes over a program. They're not going to just always attack the same one or two things. It's right. going to look at your program and evaluate it as a whole. And it seems like you did that. And building a culture is just so important. Like, well, it's funny I mean, you
1: mentioned that because, you know, <laughs> the coaches I played for in high school, both Coach Sharon and his predecessor, uh, Ed Gagnon, who I'm still friendly with to this day. um, They, you know, they um, were very old school, tough, hard-nosed types of coaches. You know, if you didn't do something correct, you were going to get hammered for it. And and it was a disciplinary approach. And I took a lot from that as a player. And at the start of my career, I think I tried to mold myself to be that. And after a few years, I realized, well, if there's a place for that for me, but that's not really my personality. you know. So I had to kind of mold my coaching career <clears throat> by trying to take the things that I learned from the coaches that I had respected so much, like those gentlemen, but also realizing I had to sort of veer or, or diverge a little bit uh, with some methodology and philosophy that, that suited my personality too. And again, if I come back to that word, it's you know, finding a balance. So you know, picking my spots to have that side come out, uh, but also staying consistent to, to, to the values that, that define me.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, and, and you, like I said, you can't reinvent yourself, right? You're going to be who you <laughs> are and mold around that. Um, what I found really interesting about your story and just, you know, I'm interested to hear your perspective on it is I know right out the gate you had great success. You went 17 and five that first year, but then the next couple of years, you know, I had a guest on here a few weeks back, Dave Fallon, the head coach at uh, Millis um, High School Girls Basketball. And, you know, he won a championship his first year and then two years later he was one in 19. <laughs> Um, now, that wasn't, that's not you. I'm not saying that's what your record was, but you had a little bit of you were under 500 a couple times, once or twice, um, and then you kind of rose back up. And especially in the late 2000s, early 2010s, you started going on some runs. So I'm always interested. What did you kind of change? Because you had such good success early, and then you kind of had a couple, you know, mediocre seasons, and then you kind of jumped right back up. So as a coach, how did you evaluate that and maybe change the way you were a little bit?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, my opinion is I don't really care what coach you talk to. I mean, da- talent is by far the, the number one divider. Um, all, the, all, the, all the ethic is important. Attitude is important. All the intangibles are, are absolutely critical to getting to, you know, the best you can be. But if you don't have a solid talent base, you know, it's going to be difficult to, to win, quite frankly. And, you know, we were, you know, relatively 500 team there for probably a good handful of years from – From 03 to 07, somewhere in there. We had a 13 and 7 in there. We had a 9 and 11 in there. We had an 11 and 9. So we were sort of teetering around that 500 mark. Always competitive, but how are we going to get to the next level? And I I think the number one thing that kind of got my program going to the next level and becoming more premier was simply the fact that I was able to get a a really good camp going. Uh, My first few years there, um, the... school was was still very very loyal to the coaches who came before me and they were still running a camp and uh they were able to have several weeks and they had a lot of established campers and i i wasn't able to to compete with that um and i i hold no grudge it wasn't something i was thrilled about but it is what it is loyalty i you know i respect those guys as my former coaches to this day i had something i just kind of had to live with and um, once I was able to get a camp going and get youngsters from the area, again, it's a private school. And as you know, the, the MIA has some very, very strict and stern policies regarding strict recruitment. And that was something that in my 17 years there, not once did I ever engage in, in uh, any, any sort of you know, recruiting behavior. So I was going to have to build this from the ground up. And I'm sure you know as well as I do, once you establish a good camp and you get you know, kids from surrounding towns to come to your camp and see what you're all about, you start to build an interest. And we had a, a group of kids that entered FIIN and in in the years like 06, 07, 08, who had been campers. And they they took a shine to, to me and the way that I did things. And they were pretty talented kids. And they came into the school and, and sort of got the ball rolling, had a couple of those 14, 15, 16 win years. And then we started to get a number of more kids who would come to camp and they liked it. And they saw that we were winning and hosting tournament games and they wanted to be a part of that and it kind of just snowballed from there and we, you know we went on a run from you have the statistics but i want to say we went on a run from 09 to about 017 something along those lines or 016 you know we we won you know boy i don't know at least four or five league titles and you know something in the neighborhood of 160 or 100 and that's too many but maybe 140 something wins and or 130 wins in those years and um, a number of of deep tournament runs and I think that camp is is really really important whether it's public school private school whatever it is because that's when you can you know you can really get your hands dirty in the summertime and work with kids and 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 let them know that that uh, you know you appreciate the efforts in the summertime and here's what me and my program are all about we would love it if you consider coming to the school and that that's that's the extent of it at, at, at that private school. That was yeah. that was so important to me. So,
0: and, and that is, I mean, just like, you know, like you said, you're, you're, I understand that world of being a Catholic school, of being a private school and, and not having that ability to know what's coming into year to year. And, 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 you know, you're not recruiting and doing it the right way and getting what you get and building off of that talent. Once you're able to get control of those camps and get some youngsters in there and youth and sell who you are a little bit. Yeah. That changes any program for any coach. And if you had that at the beginning, you know, you probably would have had that success much later on too, of just having those kids and maybe hearing your terminology or understanding your dreams drills and understanding your style, those things go a long way, especially when kids are coming from a completely different area or a completely different yep. city or town or just been taught a lot of different ways. You know, you're somewhat getting them at ground zero, trying to teach them a whole new system from where they come from and so on and so forth. Um, and That's I think a number of the
1: kids who came had been going to the local Catholic elementary and middle schools. Um, so being was a natural choice for some of them. Um, for some of them, they were just public, they were just public school kids who um, you know, took a shine to the school. They, 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 they came to some games. I remember some kids specifically, I'm not going to mention any names, but who came to some games and they were exciting games. And, and their parents told me they, boy, they really wanted their kids to be a part of that because they, they liked, they liked the way I coached the games and ran the program and the excitement. And I was a lot younger then, yeah. a little more spry and energetic, but it's but uh, that energy, I think that energy that, that I, I thought was one of my, one of my strengths, if you don't mind my saying, um, I think that really turned people on.
0: That's awesome. That's great. And so you mentioned statistics. Yeah. I'm going to talk about your statistics for a second. <laughs> so um, again, when I, when I take a look at this, you were, you know, and I'm going to read some of your statistics and then your team. So this is, you know, really from like, Oh, nine Freeman was a four-time selection as the sun Chronicle boys basketball, all-star team coach of the year. You were lead champ five times in 2009. You had 19 wins division two South tournament quarterfinals, 2012, you had 16 wins. You reached the um, division two South quarterfinals again, 2000. 14 you went 21 and 2 overall and reached the Division 2 South se- semifinals 2015 the very next year you guys collected 19 wins and you took them all the way to the Division 2 sectional title to advance the MIAA Division 2 tournament so the winner goes and you guys lost to Danvers who oh yeah it was 27 and 0 that year <laughs> and a pretty dominant basketball team so they were, you know yeah, um, Danvers
1: that's that's one of the best high school teams I've ever seen and we and we hung in with them at that garden but at the, the TD. But uh, Coach Walsh and, and his, his programs are always stellar. And there was no shame in losing to them. And to win a sectional. And ironically, the sectional was over my good friend Don Byron, who had given me my first coaching job. And the day we played in the Garden, I'll give you another little piece of history, a yeah. piece of irony, was literally 25 years to the day that I had played in the Garden as a player in 1990. It was 2015. Wow second Tuesday in March. So things kind of confluenced on that night. Unfortunately, we lost both games, but <laughs> it was, uh, it was quite, quite a history there. And, and then I'm sure you'll mention 2016 also, another, another good year.
0: Yeah. And, and so, you know, when I, when I look at that, I say to myself, you know, what we talked about earlier, you definitely built a culture. You know, you built a culture that was um, second to none. And, and you know, you, you, again, you kind of mentioned when you took over those camps, and then now you're seeing the after effects of it, especially in the 2010s. Um, well, what- the other
1: thing was, I always get my players working at the camps. So that's a strategy a lot of coaches use. You get your players at the camps working with the young kids. You know, a lot of those camps, you know, they run themselves. You get, you know, the young kids, I mean, they like to see me there, but they like working with the kids who are in the program now and the kids they look up to and the kids they want to be like. And, oh, that kid played in the garden. I want to do that someday. You know, that means a lot. That means a lot, you know.
0: And, and so, I mean, that's cool aspect of it, right? Because um, think about it. I mean, these campers, are, you know, these these basketball players are working at these camps. These little kids are like, I want to be like Johnny number 16. I want to be <laughs> like Mike. When You know, so they see these guys at a young age and they're looking up to them. And, and now they're putting that uniform on or maybe wearing that number and playing that position as that person that they looked up to in camp. So, yeah, that's all great culture building. Um, you know, where you had a lot of success, coach. I always ask a lot of coaches this, but talk about what your expectation is in the off season for your, for your team. You know, are you the type of coach that it's AAU? you, want them continuing to continue in play basketball, or are you the type of coach that wants them just to play other sports, be competitive, be athletes and put themselves in those competitive situations year round? Or is it a mix of both?
1: It's a good question. I, I have always been a proponent that if kids, they get four years of high school, if they want to play other sports by all means, um, and if you're sp- talking specifically about the offseason, you know, if it's the fall or the spring and these kids are playing another sport, there should be their focus. And I don't want to see any kid ever get hurt playing basketball during another season where that might compromise their ability to compete with that team, especially if it's at the school that I'm coaching at, you know. Um, in terms of the summer, there were a lot of kids who played multiple sports, so we have to balance their time. What we always had was a summer league we were in down in Taunton uh, under Coach Dacey we a great summer league down there. and We would usually play two nights a week for six or seven weeks. And uh, some kids might make it one out of the two games because they might have a, 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 um, a baseball, the summer baseball, forget what it's called. Um, uh, what's the, what's the baseball uh, for the high school kids who, who, are, who are good players. There's a, there's a summer baseball that goes on, whatever it is. Oh, um, yeah. Or maybe they were at a football passing camp or passing league or whatever. Okay. Hey, can, can you make it one out of two or, or talk to that coach of that sport and say, hey, what kind of commitment are you expecting? Can we work something out here? Because, you know, I, I just always felt like it wasn't my place to tell a kid he can't do something else. But if the coaches can communicate and try to share these kids' time a little bit, because we're all caring about our own programs. Um, but I always cared about the other, pro- I tried to care about the other programs as well, because I, I wanted this, all the school to do well, not, not just boys' basketball. But at the same time, I would say, and in the sport of basketball, I can't speak to other sports because I don't have the knowledge. But the sport of basketball, if you, you want to have a good team that, that's going to be successful, you kind of do need a couple, at least a couple of kids, you know, who's, who that sport, you know, is their focus. And that's not something I mandated, but that's just a point of fact. So I was very, very fortunate during that really strong run we had that I, usually each year I had two, if not three boys on the team who happened to be my best players who basketball was their focus. So they were really putting a lot of time into either AAU or finding time for summer league, or I'd open up the gym, uh, go in, literally go into the office, roll out the balls, open up the gym, which we're allowed to do by MIAA, and the kids could play and, and whatnot. And when they said they were done, you get 10 or 15 kids and play pickup. And when they were done, okay, coach, we're done. All right. Lock up the gym and get the heck out of them. And, and that was uh always made myself available, except if I was on vacation with my family or or if I was sick or something like that. But other than that, you know, I always tried to make myself available in the summer to give these kids as many opportunities to play as they could. We used to do some camps. Um, high school camps for, the, for basketball are kind of a, you know, sort of a thing of the past, going a little bit by the wayside. But back then, there were still some really good camps going on. So we did a team camp every once in a while. and We did it for a few years in a row. And then Some groups didn't really wanna do it, so it kind of got phased out. Um, But those are some of the things we did, and I I think all of those were, were important ingredients to the program getting to the high heights that it did.
0: Yeah. And, and it, like you said, I, I love listening to other sports because they are so different. And to hear how coaches handle and manage their players in the offseason and what they do and what the expectation is. And and just here in basketball, you know, there, there, there's a lot out there. You know, there's a lot out there for kids no, to do true. nowadays. And, you know, that's amazing from maybe even when I was in high school, there really wasn't, like you said, maybe camps and, but there wasn't too much summer league. It was, but not a lot as much as there is now. Um, you know, when we talk about your schedule, I mean, when we say you're 500 or <laughs> (laughs) sub 500. I mean, let's also not like underestimate and talk about the league that you guys play in. I'm just gonna name a few of the teams and you know if I leave a few teams off, no disrespect, but I'm just looking at some of the traditional powerhouses that you guys would play against. And again, it's two times a season, a home and away, that you're playing some of these teams again, Bishop Sting, Walpole, Marcus Vineyard, Attleboro, North Attleboro. And then over the years, just doing some research on you, you've played teams like Catholic Memorial, New Bedford, Dartmouth, Durfee. I mean, these these are really good <laughs> programs. So you know your league's a gauntlet in itself, but y- you don't seem to really shy and back away from really talented teams um you know no matter what division they are so talk a little bit about the mentality of you as a coach and how you look at maybe scheduling your your non-league games before you start playing like the thick of of your league
1: sure well for years we had a league schedule of 12 games and some of the teams in that league were were stronger than others as always but that those 12 games weren't going to change um the, the eac that i was a part of sort of Went up and down. Some teams left. Others came in. It was sort of came to be a bit of a fledgling league after a while and ended up, you know, going by the wayside. Um, and, you know, in terms of non-leagues, I mean, I wasn't going to just schedule eight games against Division I powerhouses. Um, usually we schedule a few games against some good D1s. We always scheduled Attleboro because that was a natural rivalry. Um, always North Attleboro because that was a natural rivalry. Um, Durfee, we had played Durfee since I think 1981 or something, or 82, something like that. Always played them home and away. For this five games right there. And then over the years, it's sort of sprinkled in, as you said, in my early years, we didn't play CM and BC High in so much in my later years, but we played them in the tournament a couple times. We played them my first two years. Um, and the other schools you mentioned we played Dartmouth, uh, who had some really good teams. Um, I'm trying to think. We were in a number of holiday tournaments. Even some good Catholics, uh, Cardinal Spellman, Mike Perry, and one of the best, he's got over 500 wins um, and had some great teams. We dip into the Hockamock League and play Foxborough, who my like, former player of mine, John Gibbs, is an outstanding young coach and has done great things in his first handful of years there. Uh, we played them. Um, and just, you know, it wasn't so much, I'm not going to shy, I'm not going I'm going to play anybody who wants to play us. Well, I mean, within reason, you, you know, if, if, if your team is sort of a mediocre team, you know you don't want to you don't want to go 5 and 15 and not give yourself a chance to compete in your own division but at the same time you don't want to be 17 and 3 and have played nobody and now you're a you know, now you're a sitting duck in the tournament you know a paper tiger didn't want that either so it was a little bit tricky i mean there were some years i had to schedule when when teams started dropping out of the eac i had to schedule more non league games i mean there were some years i had to get 12 if not 14 non league games so there were times when we were strong that it was actually kind of hard to get games <laughs> um, because, you know, unless I wanted to just riddle my schedule with a ton of D one powerhouses and, you know, again, trying to find that balance. So I, I, I'm not ashamed of the schedules that I ever put together at that school. Cause I was always trying to find that way of, of being successful, being competitive, but also challenging ourselves so that when we did face good teams in the tournament, you know, we'd be able to compete. And, um, we got it handed to us in all of my years, maybe a couple of times in tournament play, uh, but uh, we were we were in it. We were in it in those games. You know, almost every time we we played in the tournament, and uh, really proud of that. Really proud of that postseason uh, record.
0: Yeah, and I and I think again, you know, teams. You know, a lot of the basketball coaches I've talked to, it's a lot of the same mentality. You know, they want to prepare themselves for tournament play, um, and in the case bringing up Dave Fallon again, you know. His his conference his league he was playing division two teams when he was a division four team. So yep. he would sometimes get in at a five hundred record, but he was the most dangerous team in the <laughs> division four tournament because they just played superior competition. So I, I love the mentality, Coach. It's just the idea of saying to yourself, Yeah, we're gonna play up a little bit. We're gonna put ourselves to see what my team's made of. And like in any sport, I don't care what sport it is, you wanna find out the mental toughness of your team. Period. No question. You want to put them in positions in which they got to be clutch or make a play or make a shot or make a defensive player, get a big rebound. And you want to do it against the best, you know, because like you yep. said, it gets you ready 12 games in your league, gets you ready, but playing those other out of league teams, some of those bigger schools that sure. you want to show your kids, you can play with them. Um,
1: a lot of schools that have 16, 18 league games every year. They don't have to schedule much out of league because their schedules are pretty much established. I didn't really have that luxury the last, you know, Eight to 10 years of my, of my career there. And, you know, I had to sort of venture out at times, sometimes geographically to, to, find, to find games. And uh, some of that was fun, but it got kind of grueling after a while. I'm happy to see that my alma mater is now in, a, in that Catholic league, um, just from a scheduling standpoint. You know, it's, it's nice to see for, for convenience and not having to schedule as many non league games um, from this point forward. I'm assuming the pandemic will be over by next year. So it's, it's nice to see that that's the case there. So I'm happy for them. for them.
0: Except the drive. <laughs> Except the drive. Yeah, I guess
1: there's some long drives. I don't know. I'm a bit removed from it at this point, but I guess there's yeah. some, some really long drives there. Yeah. And whatnot. Oh, but yeah. Being in trade is you know, worth it for, the, yeah. for that Catholic
0: league um you know so you you alluded to it a little bit ago but another thing we talked about and i did a little research your coaching tree i mean you you're like a bill belichick andy reid ask you got a little bit of a coaching tree um you know you have the head coach at king philip the head coach at zavarian and as you mentioned the head coach at foxborough so i mean talk about that a little bit because that's a compliment coach i mean in any sport if you have guys that you're grooming that are under you and yes they might have it and they might have the knowledge and they're hard working and they got there in their own right but they followed under you. They learned under you. They were able to take that step under you. So talk about how special that is to have a coach. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, one, one caveat, a couple of those guys, they didn't, I mean, only coach Stefano at KP actually coached with me, but the other guys played for me and they both, they all have assistant coaches who played for me. <laughs> so, you know, we're you're talking six, seven, eight guys who are coaching high school basketball in Eastern mass um, in the Catholic conference in the Hockamock league, you know, et cetera, who I, had at some, in some way, shape, or form, player coach, but were sort of under my tutelage. And, you know, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how much pride that gives me to see guys that went to my high school, um, played for me, coached with me, who now I have coached against, um, were some tremendous players, but also um, just tremendous young men, gentlemen. Absolute gentlemen, great sportsmen, um, who love the game and have a passion for the game, uh, just like just like I do. And if I have had any influence on on those 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 young men as 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 players, as a mentor, as coaches, or whatnot, then then I'm honored um, because I think I think the world of, of every one of those guys. Uh, Coach Lindbergh at KP and and uh, Coach Adams, who's Ryan's assistant at, at Zavarian. Um, I mean the list, the list goes on and on and on. So when you have a chance to get to know people, so on such a personal level as their coach or in David's case, he was a volunteer assistant for me for seven years. Um, you know, and and what an honor to have them go forward and could try to continue coaching in the sport that they love. And I went to some of the games last year that they had and boy, it was just, it was just so impressive to see them building their own craft and, um, I'm not, I'm not sure I influenced them all that much as coaches, but I, I certainly tried to as, as men and how to conduct themselves and sportsmanship and try to be classy and just treat the kids, t- treat the kids real well. And I tried to rub those things up. Those are always much more important to me than, than what the scoreboard said you know at the end of the night.
0: Yeah. And and, it, and it's awesome. I mean, again, you talk about earlier building that culture. I mean, here you hear players come through your program and, you know, they might've went on and played a college, but again, you had the root and made them fall in love with the sport and learn that sport. And here they are now, doing what you did for them for others so thank you that's what's coaching is just so amazing and i think that it's such an emotional thing you know you you connect it with your players i mean i have players that since i've started this have been emailing me calling me texting me i had mean, even someone send a letter in the mail i mean super old school right but like <laughs> snail mail <laughs> yeah it's just it's amazing it's amazing the effect that you have on your players and to see that you know only people that coach really understand that that how that makes you feel as an individual um yeah. when you see that so uh tip the cap to you coach um thank you i want to talk a little bit uh style you know i'm just curious this is more me as a fan that doesn't know a lot about basketball just i can watch it and follow it but as far as the x's and o's go i'm not there i'm not your guy but um you
1: see me try to look at a football pattern i have no (laughs) clue what i'm looking at
0: (laughs) Um, so you know what I always find interesting about basketball is your bench right because from what I understand and see and watch I mean typically I'm guessing teams are seven guys to eight guys maybe consistently in a rotation uh, that play in a game but then you maybe have those nine through 12 guys sitting on the bench I mean talk about how you build a roster one through 12 uh, sure. for your program
1: sure yeah I, I think you I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head and then he- in any varsity team, you can usually, in my, at least in my career, could bank on seven to eight top guys, maybe a ninth in a given year. But we can keep up to 15. I usually tried to keep around 12. Some years I had more, some years I had less if I didn't have a lot of bodies. Um, but it can absolutely at the varsity level get a little dicey with guys 10, 11, 12, 13, maybe even nine. Some of those really strong teams I had, you know, our top seven or eight were were really, really strong. And you know, to some extent, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get as many kids a lot of playing time as as I, you know, maybe would have my heart would have wanted to. But you know, at the varsity level at that at that stage, you're you're committed to winning. And you and that's that was my first commitment, other than providing hopefully providing a good experience, was we're trying to win games here. And it's not it's not it's not charity, you know, it's it's an opportunity to hopefully produce a good product, give yourself a chance at state tournament play. And then really test your mettle and see how far you can go. Uh, so, you know, I always tried—I always tried to be very respectful to the kids who maybe weren't going to get the same number of minutes. But you know how it is. It's—it's it's those first few weeks when you let a kid know here's where you stand, because I, I always tried to take the honesty approach with kids who were sort of on the fringe or maybe weren't looking a lot of minutes. And you know, here's—here's here's where you are. You know, just so that they could make the best-informed decisions for themselves and. You try to take the honest approach and for some kids that works and coach, I'm all in, you know, and for some kids, it, it ends up burning you because they're, they're all in at the start, but those cold, those cold winter January mornings of Saturday practice at 8am start happening. Their motivation isn't what it was on December, you know, December 6th. And um, so it, it it can be, a, it can be a grind trying to find that balance between showing respect to those bottom bench guys and also saying, well, you know, I I have a goal here. I want to, we're trying to win every game, you know? So that was something I I definitely struggled with internally over the years. I think, I think there's probably a lot of coaches who who do, Um, but that's just, you know, I, 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 I I have, I guess I have a heart, you know, I, um, you know, I I try to care about all the players, but unfortunately, oftentimes the way you're perceived um, is dictated by um, the amount of playing time that, every single kid gets and unfortunately in this profession when you sign on you know that to some extent you're going to be judged uh, based upon you know some uh, objective factors like that like playing time and it's it's unfortunate um, that you know know, it's unfortunate that that sometimes you know folks can't can't see the forest you know for the trees Um, but I've also had a number of wonderful folks over the years who I never heard a word in fact they were ultra supportive even though their children weren't weren't highlighters, weren't headliners and, and star players. Uh, so it, it, some of that is dictated year to year. Some of the years were not as strong. Maybe that gets some more kids opportunities, um, or the years that you really were. If you're winning by a large amount, you can get kids in who don't, but they know the deal on that. They, they know that they're really only getting those minutes, you know, because the team is either up big or down big. And it's, it's not a mystery. Um, I just always felt honesty was the best approach. And I guess some kids felt like I had already given up on them if I told them where they stood uh, in, at the end of tryouts. But I continued on with that process. And I think for the most part, it, it served me pretty well. You know.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think when you're too, you know, especially if you are, let's say that nine through 12 kid, you know you also find out what that kid's kind of made of a little bit. Maybe it's a younger guy towards the end of the bench, or maybe it's a more older guy, a junior, a senior, but you also kind of find out a little bit about who they are. And I've seen in football. I mean, I've had kids who started, you know, day one by week six or week seven, they're maybe not starting and somebody else is, or some kid who wasn't getting any reps is now getting way more reps as the season goes on, maybe due to injury or maybe just due to, you know, they're making themselves known in practice and we're giving them some time and they're understanding the system. So, you know,
1: things that can absolutely happen in basketball as well. Yeah. I mean, and you know, contrary to what some folks believe, I never, never gave up on anybody, but you know, if, if other kids are performing better on a regular basis than in practice, and that's really where you see it, you know, if a, if a kid wants to move up, the move up the ladder, move up the food chain, it's going to happen in practice. And if a kid's, feeling defeated because they haven't been getting chances that might affect their demeanor and their performance in practice, which isn't going to help. So they'll help their situation. So you got to keep trying to positive reinforce. you got to try and keep building them up because if they get better, we're going to be better. So it, it, it was never a, it was never, Oh, I hope this kid doesn't get better because it'll make my life easier. No, make, make us coaches have to make those tough decisions. Cause that means the team is getting better.
0: Absolutely. and, <laughs> And, and, you know, kind of transitioning into the next thing. And, and I hope I don't, I hope I don't mess this up. So correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, you know, one of the awards you won was that sportsmanship award. In, and I think it was in 2013, it's called the Scully award. I'm going to let you explain it a little bit more sure. because I will not do it justice, but sure. it's a pretty big honor. And I think it's something really worth mentioning because as a coach, I respect, I respect that a lot because I know yeah. it's not the easiest to keep your temper and keep your comments when you're coaching <laughs> okay. and you're in that competitive nature. So um, Talk a little bit about the award and and, and how you got recognized for it.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk about this. Um, Paul Scully was a longtime uh, commissioner of IAABO, Official of Referees Board of Official Referees uh, Board Thirty. I think it's based out of. I think it was based out of Taunton, where Paul lived, and um, and uh, they they had an inaugural. A sportsmanship award for coaches in 2013. And they decided that they were going to start giving an award on a yearly basis to one coach from all the different schools that they officiate from all the different leagues they officiate. There had to be 40, 50, maybe even 60 schools that they represented in their officiating. And um, I received a call from, from the secretary of the officials at the time. And I don't usually receive calls from referees, but so I said, oh, hey, how you doing? I knew the guy. He had refereed games when I was in high school. And he said, oh, I, I, I want to share some good news with you. I had no idea that he hadn't even had the award before. And he explained to me the, the purpose of the award and that they were going to honor me with it, uh, their inaugural award. The first time they were going to give it out, they were honoring me with it. And i had been in the game now, coaching head coach now, I think it was 11 or 12 or 13 years at that point. And I, I was absolutely stunned. And he, they – I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. That, that's anybody who knows me, I, I think, knows I'm a pretty humble guy. But, you know, he said that just the way that I treated the game and the opposing, opposing teams and the players on the other teams respectfully and in and, and their mind, most importantly, the referees, and always had a good cordial working relationship with the referees. And, you know, I really I, – I, I think I told you in the article, they said I had one T and one technical in 17 years, and that's because I had put the kids – but have put the wrong number of a kid in the in the scorebook. <laughs> but um, I, I just never really felt I just never really felt that the the officials um, were responsible uh, for you know largely for the the results in games that we played. Sure, there were a few games where I wish a few calls had gone the other way, but there were also games I'm sure that we had some calls that went our way. But either way, through the highs and lows, the ups and downs of games and the roller coaster ride that the season is. Um, I've really always been just sort of hands off on the officials. I, I think we need to work together. Um, I don't consider it, you know, brownie points or, 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 you know, trying to get in good with them. It was never really that way. It was just my personality. I always felt that if I was worrying too much about all the calls those guys were making and nitpicking and whatnot and yelling and screaming, you know, that was, that was focus that I was taking off of, of my own team and what we need to accomplish in the, in the, heat, of the, in the heat of the game, in the heat of the battle. So I, I learned very, very early on in my career that, you know, it, it doesn't really do my team and my players much good to model the kind of behavior um, where I'm adversarial with, with the officials. I, that's just never really been a part of who I was. And I'm not saying everybody should be that way. I'm just saying that's who I was. And to, to receive that honor, I brought a couple of kids with me to the, the next board meeting that they had a couple of my captains that year. And cause I was really, I was very, very proud of that award. And I, I, through, you know, I've had, I've had my share of success on the scoreboard, but I, I can unequivocally say that, that the, most, the proudest moment of my, of my coaching career has been receiving that Scully Award. Um, and there, there, there really isn't even a close second. Maybe winning the sectional and going to the garden. But beyond, beyond that, I, 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 I just thought that was the pinnacle. I thought that was the pinnacle. And uh, it, just, it just meant so much to me. And a little, another little touch of irony there is that I, I work at Braintree High School where I coach. And the principal of Braintree High School, who was hired two or three years ago, is a man by the name of Dr. Chris Scully from Taunton, and that's Paul's son. Wow. So it's it's just it's just weird this confluence of, of different things that occur. And he's a great great guy, and we're so happy and lucky to have him as our as our headmaster.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: That's it, it... that's my that's my sense of the award and just what an honor. And uh, I just I was really I was really proud of it.
0: It, as you should be. I mean, listen, you're, I, I, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, this guy's floating his own boat. I'm like, yeah, this is a heck of an award. Um, and that's why I really wanted to give you the floor to talk about. It. it shows the type of guy you are. And again, alluding back to your coaching tree, right? Let's talk about it. I mean, you have some successful <laughs> players under you and, you know, uh, people that coach what you are off. So, again, the way that you conduct yourself, the the culture that you have there. It shows because it's spreading and it's affecting other programs. But I agree with you. It's an amazing award, thank you. well deserved. Um, just it. getting to know you, you're just such a nice guy, humble guy, easygoing guy. And uh, yeah, I really wanted to give you that. I thought that was really important for our audience to hear. You know, the type that of means a lot to me, are. Anthony. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to jump into this next subject. And, and, and obviously, I'm going to give you the floor again to kind of talk about it. And one of the big things I, I research, you know, I research a lot of these coaches, is of all the success that I named, again, you know, sectional championships or semifinals or quarterfinals, 20 win seasons, so on and so forth. Um, and again, coaching at your Alma Mater, um, so on and, and so forth. You, you at the 17 years in Fiend, and after your, after your, I believe it was the 17, 18 season. Um, you know, you kind of let go as coach, and th- it really stood out to me because I, I did research and I-, I read some newspaper articles. I read the Herald, I read the Sun Chronicle, and the biggest thing that I kept coming back to was there was really no explanation of why. I mean, you average fifteen wins a year. I, I want to say you won like two hundred and forty games. Am I am I on the ballpark there? I uh,
1: was a win shy of two hundred and fifty. Okay, so two hundred and forty. My first win at Granger was two hundred and fifty last year. Yeah. yeah
0: so so um, you know record speaks for itself. You double the amount of wins and you did losses. You know, you played an extremely tough conference. You win an award that you can yourself incredible on the sideline. You have an awesome coaching tree or a thousand point score. I mean, I'm not trying to like paint this picture here, but I'm just being real. I'm going to read some of the quotes, um, you know, that I found in the paper. And I think this is really important for, you know, for kind of my research. So this was kind of the quote from the AD and I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not knocking the school. I'm just kind of reading what I, what I read in the paper um, or the article that I read. Uh, we are grateful for coach Freeman and his many years of service. He's always represented feeding well, and he's been an excellent role model for the entire generation of Fiend basketball players. Very true. Uh, Matt is a man of character and positive role model as a Fiend graduate and a story Fiend coach. He will be a part of our Fiend family forever. So when I first read that, I thought maybe you retired or something. Like you just <laughs> decided to kind of like, you know, you were done, you know? Um, and then the more I researched it, even people that were writing the article is just kind of baffling on, on what happened. And in in, in according to you, there really wasn't a reason given. I mean, some of the quotes here again, humble that you are, the type of guy that you are. I mean, most people in that situation might tell how they feel. And, you know, I still love Bishop Fien and always will. I'm just extremely disappointed in the people that made the decision. I love coaching this team. This the kids were great. Uh worked uh worked hard every single day and we had a great time doing it. Um so again, I'm going to kind of give you the floor here, but, you know, I want to give you that opportunity to talk about it and kind of hear your side of the story a little bit where I've sure. done this research and really haven't heard that side of it.
1: Sure. I'm not even sure I'd say it's my side of the story that there is really no debate um, about, you know, kind of what happened. It was an unfortunate thing. Um, I I think clearly you hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, we're, we're two and a half approaching on... Almost three years later, in April, and <clears throat> other than speculation from some different sources, some more or less reliable than others, um, there really, there really has never been an, an honest explanation provided to me uh, by the by the powers that be by by upper administration. Uh, I think that's unfortunate. I think that we're starting to see a little bit of this more and more over the years in, in high school sports. Um, oftentimes, it's fairly well known what the reason is even though it's not a very good reason but you know the the lingo that's used these days and was in my case was deciding to go in another direction um or you know we 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 we've decided to you know go you know, to take, take take our take our coaching search you know somewhere else and start fresh or things of that nature but i guess i guess the thing that that probably hurt most of all was you know, as I was being, as I was being laid off, I could tell and the athletic director was really was not able to make eye to eye contact with me. Cause I think, I think he deep down inside knew that this was not, this was not right. You know, and I, I'm, I'm the psych teacher. I'm the psychology guy. You can kind of tell people's body language, you know, and, um, and as much as I pressed and pressed for, Hey, you know, I mean, I've been, a, I was a distinguished alum for 30 years of affiliation in my high school. And I, I never did anything to disparage that. And I thought at an absolute minimum, just at an absolute minimum, I deserved an honest explanation. What, was there something I did? Did I say something to a kid that was taken out of context or taken the wrong way? I never laid a hand on any kid except in a supportive way. Um, you know, I, I was always amenable to what admin and, and others, you know, ADs wanted from me. And uh, I always tried to, to demonstrate, you know, the, the utmost in, in class and sportsmanship, win or lose, you know, whatever. And, um, and I just—it it hurt. It really, really hurt. And uh, you don't—you don't expect that when not only when you've had success on the scoreboard in, in tangible, objective ways, but when you've tried real hard to to lay a foundation of who you are and and and, and be a be a man of, of character and, and someone that you can look in the mirror and be proud. When I see my face, and that and that that was always how I felt about my like I I liked who I was. I, you know. And when that happened, you know there there were a lot of, of uh, resultants, resultants from from that firing. It, it affected it affected me and my family in some some really grave ways, some real serious ways. It was, you know, I, I wasn't a, a real fun guy to be around for a long time. I, I I didn't come out of the house a whole lot for a while. Um, I, uh, I I uprooted my family and moved from, from North Attleboro, which is my hometown, to, to Medway. My daughters were going to be legacies at, at Bishop Fean, and I was really excited to have them go. And they'd always come to my games as, as, young, as young kids, and they were really excited about the school and, and loved the school just as much as I did. And um, it just became – just, ha- just at the time, I just felt like it was such a toxic situation for me that I, it, wasn't, it wasn't the right time. My daughter was going to be a freshman the following year and was enrolled. And I, my wife and I just decided this is not, this is not the right time. Uh, an, an environment for for our daughter right now because of I didn't want her to have a start off with a bad experience because of something that happened to me. I, I didn't think that would be fair to her, you know. And um, so, yeah, it, it. I think it was. I think hurt. I think I think hurt was the number one thing. And I um, I, I just feel like I just feel like just uh, in general whether it's coaching whether it's any kind of job, um, you know when 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 people quote, decide to go in another direction. Um, I think, I think the people that are losing their jobs, I think they deserve the respect of at least having some specifics. Was it a parent? Was it a group of parents? Was it, you know, and, and, and that's, that's, it's, you know, it's something that, you know, I had to get over and I I largely did, but it still sits, it still sits with me. Um, I won't lie. It still sits with me. It still, it still stings a little bit, not like it did at the time because I've had to move forward with my career and and, and go into some new avenues which, which I've done, but I, I'd be lying if I said it, it, didn't still, you know, have an effect on my life to some extent. It, you know, it, it does, but, uh, you know, I, I still behind the scenes hope that the program does well. And, and a lot of those kids that are in the program right now, they're seniors. They had all come to my camp and they're very, very good players and wonderful young men. And I had really looked forward to coaching them <laughs> and, um, it just wasn't meant to be. And, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of my initial, initial comments on that. I, you know, I, any, anything else on my part, even to this day would, would largely be speculation. I think that the, I think that central administration have already kind of had a mindset that this is what they wanted to do. And we're kind of just looking for the, for the right, right time or opportunity. Uh, my last year, I will say, we were 11 and nine with a team that many people who were friends of mine in the coaching community said, Oh man, if you can get this team anywhere near 500, you deserve coach of the year. We went 11 and nine and got in the tournament and and gave a really, really good Hanover team, a good half of basketball. They ended up running away from us in the second half at Hanover. And that that was my last game. And, uh, I still remember it. And those boys, you know, very, very well. And I, I always appreciate and respect the boys on that team because they worked really hard. And as you said, in that article, I, that was said, I, I truly enjoyed working with that group. I thought we, I thought we overachieved and, uh, I always thought that was a mark of, a, of, a, of at least a decent coach. If you can get a little bit more out of the team than, than maybe what was expected
0: yeah and, and and I appreciate you you know talking about that. I know that listen, coaching's an emotional sport right I mean, at the end of the day it's emotional you you invest a lot into the kids, you invest into you know the season the off season the weight room, you know you know making sure they're doing well in class you know and you have that connection with them that you, you have that side that you're, you're friendly with them too, you know, and that you really do care about them. so I know that that's tough, and I know that that wasn't easy, and you know no knock I'm not trying to knock the school or anything like that. But I just, either. I, you know, and, and I just, I think that you're such a like you're you're a great coach, you know. So it was something that I was just, you know, wanted to bring up on the show and really, yeah. Talk
1: and you. if I if I could just add, you know, one one additional thing, I mean, I think I think as as hurtful as it was to lose the job that, that I was my dream job and that I cherished and and treated with the utmost of, of respect, and I feel I did. Um, I think the fact that I really don't have any relationship with my high school at this point. Um, is tough because I, I did love and adore that school for over 30 years. I haven't been back on the campus since, um, since the day I was allowed, a few days after I got fired, I was allowed to come back and, and say goodbye to the boys who were gonna be coming back in the program the next year. And, I mean, I did that with tears in my eyes. I mean, that so was, That was one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my life, you know? And since that day, I, I haven't been back to the school or been back on campus. It's, that's something that'd be really hard for me to do. That would be particularly emotional, I think. Um, and that's, that's kind of too bad because I, I had, you know, when I, when I lost my job, you know, everybody associated with the school, the, the, the higher ups were like, we'll stay in touch. We'll always keep your name good. We'll, you know, I, I haven't heard from anybody, anybody, um, in upper admin or affiliated with administration that school, um, since, since that last day. And I, that, that kind of hurt, that kind of hurt, you know, and, you know, I, I don't know, I, I. I guess that's probably where I'll leave it. I, yeah. uh, it, it's, it t- it's tough because when you have such a wonderful experience at your high school, you know, you, you want to, you want to feel great about it forever and you, you always want some of that tingle to, to stay with you in it. And um, you know, definitely, definitely some of that's been lost and that's unfortunate. Maybe someday I can get that, get those feelings back again and, and reaffiliate on some level. But um, you know, I, I, I think in the, in the present, I don't, I don't know. I really don't
0: know. Well, you know, and again, I think it's important for the audience to hear that, you know, coaching is an emotional thing. I mean, like I said, you're invested into it. And, um, you know, when things don't go your way, it's tough. It's tough for people to understand that because out of those 365 days a year, I mean (laughs) – arguably over 300 days a year you're investing into it and you're not getting paid for that, you know? So it's, it's, it's just amazing what coaches do. And, you know, you were able to bounce back on your feet pretty quickly. And you, you went over to um, your, your well, I coached
1: almost, I mean, let's let's just run the numbers. I mean, including tournament play, I think the number of just the number of games I coached there was approaching 400. If you added up the numbers, mm-hmm. high threes, um, that's a lot of sweat. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of joys, a lot of wins and some losses. Some glorious wins and some devastating losses, but no loss is, is that devastating, and no win is that great that you you know can't try to keep yourself centered you know and, and so that's that's a lot of lot of investment of, of love and, and time and energy and um, i don't i don't have any regrets i mean I made mistakes I made mistakes over the years, and in some cases i you know i I, I took my lumps for them, but I, I always owned up to them and I tried to make amends and in some cases i was able to, and in some cases I wasn't, but you know, I I made mistakes, but I also got a lot of things right. You know yeah and um that's that's kind of yeah, and as of, we like, heard,
0: you got, got a lot of things right, you know we, we, yeah. we heard it, um but you were able to bounce back on your feet, and I think you know sometimes things happen for a reason, and as weird as it might seem, and you might you haven't aligned the stars quite yet to why it happened, you ended up with coaching as an assistant that following year under Ricky Grady, who is uh, you know a good friend of yours, a Dover Sherborne, and you win a state championship, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you this in two parts because doing my homework a little bit, part one, talk about. What you kind of learned. I mean, you were a head coach for a really long time. You coach yep. underneath somebody. They win a state championship. I mean, talk about maybe what you learned a little bit as being an assistant coach and sure. then i want to talk about that championship game because ironically sure. enough it was against bishop stang who That's you correct. played in your yeah. league so obviously you add a lot of value there um you, you have can't a great make this
1: stuff life, up anthony so you just can't make this stuff up yeah you know,
0: it's so. cool so i mean your story is just so interesting and it just yeah, Rick, carries over. Rick
1: rady is a is a very very good friend of mine we coached against each other in tournament play we'd work together at summer camps rising star camp and whatnot we were very very close anyway and, you know, I had applied for a couple of varsity jobs the spring that I lost my job. And um, I, didn't, I didn't get either job, even though I was a finalist. So I was kind of a, a man without a, I was kind of a coach without a position throughout the summer. And a couple of coaches that I didn't know as well had asked me if I wanted to come on board. And I said, you know what, I, I think I'm just going to sit this out for now. And when I moved to Medway, Rick was, Rick also lives in Medway, which is also ironic. And uh, Rick's just a super first-class guy in, in my estimation. And he he kind of just, you know, very, very calmly and coolly said that his varsity assistant wasn't coming back. And he asked me if I might want to come on board. And at first I said, I don't think so, Rick. You know, and he kind of sweetened the pot by telling me a little about the team and what their goals were. And he had a bunch of seniors coming back. And and that was the age group that I was accustomed to being with. And, and ultimately he said, why don't you just give it a, give it a, give it a try? We'll give it a, you know. And I, I said okay. And I was fortunate enough that the athletic director at, at Dover Sherwood at the time was a was a man named Jeff Parcells, who's a real, real, real good friend of mine and we've become, you know, really close friends over the years, over these last couple of years. And he, he um he rubber stamped it and we talked about the fian thing. We talked we talked about it all, you know, and Jeff's a guy who's always gonna do his homework on things and, and he trusts Rick and he trusts his coaches and then and those two giving me this opportunity, I'll I'll always be indebted to them for that because but the run we went on um, was, was really the, the stuff of legend. And, you know, as an assistant coach, I, I guess I just tried to think about in my mind, in all my years of coaching, I had a few different assistants, not too many. I was pretty fortunate to have some, some guys who were my assistant for, for pretty consistent guys for, for a number of years. What, what qualities did I, would what, what I want in an assistant coach? And that is loyalty above all else. You know it's not good to have an assistant coach who's always questioning everything you do behind your back that that's just disloyalty you can't have that so i pledged my loyalty to, to rick from day one and i just said you know what i would want coaches who are constantly bombarding me with possibilities hey want to try this hey what do you think about and if he never tries any of them no problem and if he tries every one of them okay but um and, and rick would, would pick and choose some some suggestions and but rick's his own man and a wonderful coach and um uh, you know so if you took something that I suggested I was I was flattered by it <laughs> you know and um we just, had a, we just had a real great symbiotic relationship you know between the two of us and played off each other well I was I was kind of the, the humorist in the, in the staff just trying to keep the kids loose before games because I always thought that was an important skill of an assistant not make it all feel like the the walls are caving in just because we have a little adversity or not allowing them to feel you know too pumped after a win but you know keep things in perspective and just had developed a real good relationship in my own right with with a lot of the boys that were on that team, and it, it just became a real honor, you know. And, and as far as the season was concerned, you know, we were having a solid year anyway. I think we were in the neighborhood of eleven and four, or twelve and four, or something like that. We went on a little run at the end of the regular season to finish fifteen and five, and we went into the tournament with 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 reasonable expectations. Hey, let's 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 let we got to get a home game. Let's get a home win. I don't want to speak for Rick on this, but I think he'd, he'd feel the same way. Let's get a home win and let's see let's see what the next round brings. And we had a chance to play Whitensville Christian on the road on the second round, and we went over there and really just had a tremendous defensive performance. And uh, then we were on to the semifinals at WPI and, and played Sutton, who was outstanding, and just kept the train rolling and won the next two games and actually pretty convincing it was to, convincing it was to State. And then we're on to the state finals. Wow, you know. And uh, I had never gotten that far. I'd gotten to the semis. I'd never gotten to the state finals. And it was at Holy Cross. And wouldn't you know it, we're playing against Coach Santos and, and Bishop Stang. You know, just a tremendous team, tremendous program. And he won a state title in, in 016, I think. It's funny. He had won a state title in 016. I think they were something like 22-2 20, 20, or 23-3 and three or something like that. And two of their losses were to us that year. And he had won the Division Three state title. And we had gone to the Division Two game at the guard. So yeah. two, pretty, two pretty good teams in our, in our league. You know? And so I, I knew some of the kids were the same. Some of their best players were the same kids that I coached against since they were freshmen at Stang. Very, very good players. And I, you know, I kind of went back and looked at some of my notes and watched some film and looked at tendencies and whatnot. And, and I'm not, I had to make no illusions, illusions about anything. I, I, we didn't win that title because of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was a side piece. Uh, and knew my role, but you know, a couple little matchup things here and a couple little defenses that they liked there. And it helped. I think it helped us put together a good game plan. And uh, if that played a a small piece in, 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 in victory in that game, then, then that's, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. But what what an honor to be part of that program for a year with, with Rick and Jeff. And I'm just so proud to call them really good friends of mine. And they, they allowed me to have a, an, an exceptional year. After what had been a, a really, really difficult year in my life, so it kind of, kind of resurrected my, you know, my mood and, and my momentum and, and, my desire to to get back into, into coaching uh, at the at the head coaching level.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, then hearing what you said earlier, this is all kind of connecting the dots. So, you know, then you're, you've been a teacher at Braintree since 97, I think you said to me. Um, 97,
1: 98 was my first year
0: there. There you yeah. go. Right. So here you are as a teacher there, well-respected <laughs> teacher. And now all of a sudden the girls job opens up and we know the history of the girls program there. They're pretty dominant in the you know, mid 2010s. So, you know, later 2010s and probably before that, but just doing my homework a few years back. Um, so taking over a pretty good, Program, I know that lost a slew of talent the, the years before, um, but talk about how that opportunity popped up for you to to land in the spot that you teach at. So it's not a long commute for you. You probably have some of these kids in class. So I do uh, I talk mean. about it.
1: Yeah. Well, Coach McDonald, I mean, clearly legendary women's coach who's now chosen uh, where she works in guidance at Norwood to be the boys' coach.
0: I'm doing
1: and is doing a fine job there. Uh, hasn't skipped a beat um, uh, for her own reasons. I you haven't really. Talked about her reasons I, I think it was just because she wanted to go to Norwood for convenience and challenge herself with some new challenges after having been such a dominant coach on the girls side um, and just had some wonderful Braintree girls teams throughout the decade uh, numerous state titles and whatnot and coaching girls wasn't something that was ever really on my radar I mean I'd coached boys for 24 years and I had a comfort zone especially in that job that we've talked about and and um, but I, I basically told Rick I was probably going to be one and done and I was going to start looking around. Uh, I suppose if nothing had come out, I, I may have gone back there. But you no, know, the girls' job opened up, and initially it didn't really pique my interest. I was kind of like, all right, let's see. You know, I don't really know any of the girls on the team. They had a number of very good players who graduated and played college or playing college ball now. And so initially it was kind of like, all right, let's see who the next coach is that comes along or whatnot. And got to talk with my with my really good friend Bob Crook, who's the legendary boys' coach at Braintree, and he tried to sort of sweeten the pot and tell me a little bit about you know, how, how great it would be for us to work together and which it has been and um, things of that nature and just tried to do a little research about the players where they were coming back and and um, you know the, the convenience of already being in the building and thinking philosophy of how that could work and you know to my advantage or work in my favor and I was you know it, it wasn't for the for the um, faint of heart but I, I decided to take the plunge and interviewed and it was a, it was a tough interview. Um, You know, I was challenged with, with questions about coaching the young ladies and, and I, I was offered the job uh, later, late in the summer and um, I accepted and, you know, I I didn't have a whole lot of time to sort of get to work. I hadn't had really had time to run a camp and get things going. And, and um, so we, we, you know, we got started after Thanksgiving in my first year and, and um, you know the expectations were still really high, but you know we had we had some ups and downs my first year, and I was we were actually fairly fortunate. We had a had a really good Comcast tournament. We lost on at the end to No. But we won the first game, and that got us to ten and ten and make it into the tournament. Um, you know, quite frankly, with a team that some folks said to me, "Oh boy, if you can keep the tournament streak going, you're you're off to a good start." And that wasn't my words. And um, so I was really I was really proud we were able to get into the tournament because we. had you no, know, we we'd, we'd had our ups and downs over the course of the season, and um, just tried to stay positive the entire year. And I did, and um, and then was was particularly excited coming into year two. Um, you know, we we um, we had a number of experienced girls who had gotten experience as sophomores and juniors last year, <coughs> play a lot of basketball in the off season, and are currently on the roster. But when the pandemic hit just before right. the state finals in March, um, it kind of it kind of—we had already lost in our state tournament game, but it kind of put you know high school basketball on a on a really long hiatus, along with so many other sports and activities, and that that so many kids and adults and everybody in our world, you know, partake in. And it, and of course, it, it went right through the spring, into the summer, and into the fall. And and as you can see, you know, high school sports this year are are very restrictive, and and. Um, I guess I just feel like I, I really haven't been able to get the kind of traction, <laughs> you know, in, in the girls program at Braintree that I kind of hoped I would and it's not anybody's fault. <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all kind of powerless to what's what's happening in our world right now. <laughs> but I was kind of hoping I, 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 I like that word. I, I kind of hoping I'd have a little more traction, you know, in the program. And um, you know, we've started our season this year and um, you know, and, and again, it's kind of tough to, we have a, we're scheduled to have a six week season, but some teams in our league are, doesn't look like they're going to have winter sports at all. And our schedule's kind of been a little wacky to start the year. We played the same team four times, which is
0: – Yeah, number ours. seven in the state. I mean, yeah. that's all. strong that's team.
1: All. And, and <laughs> Mo, Mo is just – Mo over at Newton is just a tremendous coach and does a great job. And, you know, it's stung to take some lumps from, from Newton the last couple of weeks. But, you know, just – you know, and, and I'm trying to find that balance. And, and that's the word I've probably been trying to keep using this entire interview, but trying to find that balance between – providing these girls this season with a, with a real meaningful experience and also trying to win some games and be competitive. And that's a really, really difficult balance to find. Very, very difficult. It's probably just about as hard as anything I've had to do in my career, because on the one hand, you want to be thankful and grateful for every day you do have together. But, you know, we've, we've struggled out of the gate in the win loss column. So, you know, that doesn't make you feel great either. So it's, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a little stressful, but I, I am coaching some absolutely wonderful young women at Braintree High right now. I love every single girl on that varsity team this year. And they have all displayed tremendous attitudes despite the adversity and despite the scheduling adversity. Um, I can't say enough about, about the girls I'm coaching this year and how much I, how much I adore them and enjoy being around them. Um, I just hope I can, I can help us you know push, or, push across at least a few wins this year so we can feel good about ourselves in that way too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine as a coach, like, you know, we used to coaching the CCL, like, opening up against Fenwick or Spellman in the first four games of the season. <laughs> like, oh. it's awful. I mean, the, it's like the legit first four games. True. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, try not um, to
1: dwell on it too much, but, yeah. you know, we played in the first two games, then we found out we're going to be playing them again, and they, you know, they the final scores were were such that, all right, let's gear it up, you know? <laughs> And, and you always want your team to feel like if you play really well, you have a chance to win. And, and I did feel that way. Yeah. But You know, as, as the games you know slip away, all right, how am I going to, how am I going to pick up the pieces the next practice? How am I going to turn this into a positive? I gonna, and, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy, but if, if I had had a less headstrong group of ladies, it would be a lot harder and they have made it really, really easy with their tremendous attitudes um, to come back to practice even after a few tough losses to start the season and and help me help me see the big picture you know because sometimes you know it Anthony sometimes we coaches we need to be recentered too we need to be we need a little help refocusing sometimes on on what's most important
0: absolutely and and again there's no playbook on how to how to coach during a pandemic oh, i mean it definitely it's not you know but and, uh, what Braintree has is, is they have, especially at the girls basketball program, they have a leader who knows how to build a program and knows how to navigate through the toughest of waters. And, you know, that's what your girls have. So you should be proud of that and understand that, you know, as you're sitting here and talking, you're talking about how wonderful your team is. You're, 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 thinking in advance of how you're going to pick the pieces up. I mean, they're going to buy into who you are. I mean, everyone has seen, I read your accolades, you know, the, the officials know the type of guy that you are. Your school knows the type of guy you are, your principal, you won the award for his about you know his father school <laughs> so, yeah. the community knows what you're about matt and i think there's no playbook for this and i think the whole season of all sports all the way till spring sports is it's just going to be a trial by error and everyone's going to be doing different things so there's sure. there's there's no need to beat yourself up over that because <laughs> you don't have the time i've always
1: been the- my biggest critic anthony <laughs> as i'm sure you were as a coach
0: oh you know, god yeah oh god what could yeah. i be doing
1: better what you know if we stop asking it's like i told you in our Pre, pre-interview you know when when you when you stop feeling the sting of losing it's it's probably time to get out of it you know and and I, I want you to think about that you know because you know if, if losses just roll off you now well, yeah. you know you probably should have had a little more. now on the other hand if you're dwelling on it so much and you can't get over you know that that's that's not a good extreme either so you know my I think the second half of my coaching career has really been trying to try to stay a little bit more on an even keel and, and let my character come out a little bit more in terms of with my team and let them know what I'm all about and what I represent. And then whatever the scoreboard says, you know, we'll all be able to look each other in the eye and, and, and feel proud of what we've accomplished. And that's, that's probably not the kind of insight I had in my earlier years, but that comes with maturity and just experience. And um, and also a lot of thinking about what you want to be, What, what you know, my, my legacy is, is very, very important to me. And I don't mean that just as an ego-driven thing. I think any coach's legacy should be important to them. You know, not, not a win total or, or not a winning percentage or not a number of championships. Just what, what are the first words that come to mind when, you're, when your players and people that you work with, you know, think of you. What, what are the first things that, that they think of you? you know? yeah. And um, if those things are, for the most part, positive and, and optimistic and uplifting, then, then, then you did a good job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you invest in your players all around. I mean, I I remember investing in players of going to the Department of Education and help them get their transcripts so they can make sure that they transfer in the school or, you know, driving, you know, driving a kid, you know, family somewhere because they needed a ride somewhere, you know. Those are the things you do as a coach. You don't even think twice about it. And unfortunately, I think sometimes the powers of bees don't see that, right? Everything's just judged by wins and losses and rightfully so, rightfully so. Um, But, you know, it's amazing when you can build a good program and maybe sometimes not have that win-loss total, but you have a culture and you, you have good kids that represent themselves well in the school. I think sometimes those things outweigh And when you have your hand on that that just speaks characters about the person that you are. And that's going to transition us into the last question I have before our two minute drill today is what's your advice to young coaches? What's your advice to young coaches out there that are looking to make that climb and become a head coach and take over their own program? What are some things you think these are must, these were things that helped you and pass it on?
1: Yeah. I mean, humbly, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm the most qualified to advise young coaches, but I'll do my best. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, the first thing is, is you have to you just have to have that work ethic right from the get-go that, you know, no, no other coach is going to outwork me. Um, I'm going to, I mean, if I told you the number of cold car rides I got in over 17 years and, and even with Braintree the last two to go scout and to go see what other teams are doing and try to make, you know, take long rides to meet other coaches and swap film. And night after night, late into the night, typing up scouting reports so I have them ready for my kids the next day. Um, the time before practice working on um, individual skills with, with players uh, after the practice so kids could shoot around if they want to get extra sh- shots up um, the time spent with admin uh, talking about issues with a kid that came up or this that came up and and you know pre-game uh, stuff post-game stuff uh, talking to the press uh, I mean there, there are so many layers to it all and I, I loved every minute of it you know but I don't I didn't always win, but I never really felt like I got outworked, never really felt like I got outworked. Um, I lost teams to games that had more talent than us. I lost teams to games to the teams that had less talent than us, and that's going to happen. And it happened on the winning side as well. But I never really wanted to put my head to the pillow and feel like another coach was outworking me behind the scenes. So I always made sure that when when I got to practice or in the game or on the weekend or whatever, for that three month, three and a half month period, I was, you know, completely immersing myself in my program and thinking about ways that we could improve. And I knew that if I was doing that, you know, whatever, whatever the scoreboard said, I was going to be able to look myself in the mirror. And I really feel that way. I don't, I know, and I, I work really, really hard in Braintree. I I worked hard for, for Ricky whenever Rick, whenever he needed me, uh, I was there for him. And obviously as the head coach at, at my alma mater, um, I, I never, I never, I never, I don't know if I outworked anybody else, but I'd be shocked if anybody outworked me. Um, and I, so I think, I think developing that work ethic, first of all, is so, so critical. Having that mindset. Uh, there, really is, there really isn't a lot of time off when you're running a, you know, a, 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 a big, a big program
0: yeah absolutely and I think that's great advice to, to young coaches out there and you know to that are looking to make that leap man I you know I love doing this show because I have so many assistant coaches that listen to this and and they just talk about the things that they learn from coaches and things and, and I, I always say I always have a notebook of writing things down I've written quite a few things down today and um, you know it's just it, it, it's awesome coach I really appreciate you coming on here you know I think that you you've had a heck of a coaching career um, and you know Braintree right now is really lucky to have you and to, to you know coach where you teach i think is really cool and really special and um you know hopefully when we get back to normal you can have that full off season and really working with your team and and being able to go into a season and and i hope so i hope
1: keep wearing your masks you know what i mean yeah
0: Yeah, i mean i i I
1: guess in conclusion if if i could say one thing in conclusion yeah um we talked about legacy i mean i think i think one other than that scully award i mean one of one of the things i i think that i'm really happy about as the years have gone on. I mean, I, I still get calls and texts and emails from former players I had back in one 02, my first year. Um, you know, I, I went out not too long ago, had, had dinner and, and drinks with a, with a former player from 5 06, who was a really good player. And, and you know, it, when I see these players and they reach out to me, that just, that just means so much. It means more than any 20-point game they ever had, I'll tell you that. And I, I have so many former players, as I'm sure you do, who, when I see them or talk to them or whatnot, or they reach out to me, it's just so meaningful and so heartfelt. And that's again another example of that being recentered and realizing why we truly do this in the first place. Um, I love to win like anybody else does, and I hate to lose like anybody else does. That's a given. That's a given for any competitor. But what are we really doing this for? Is it just to win? And I feel fortunate to be able to honestly say, it's never just been about winning or losing to me. It really hasn't. The relationships I've made at the JV level and varsity level and assistant coach level and girls level and whatever, um, are, are, think, are, are mem- and the memories I've, I've made are, are things that are gonna stay with me for a lifetime. And 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 regardless of what happened in my in that job, um, nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can take that away from me. And those memories and, and, and my legacy there will will live will lump on forever, and um, that's a very emotional thing to say. But that's how I feel.
0: You know? yeah and, and I can tell coach I can tell and you know and, and that's why I just was so intrigued about having you on here because you just seemed like such a humble guy and just your responses in that whole situation and thank you it was like let's you know let's let's make this work so thank you. again thank you for coming on we're going to jump into our two-minute drill segment if you've seen the okay. show before I'm just going to fire some rapid fire questions at you oh. about the game of basketball I do sure. get a challenge flag uh if you know if I want to throw a challenge flag and get a little <laughs> bit of an explanation uh and This wasn't in the pre-interview <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> yeah you know you got it you got to watch the whole episode to know this comes at the end that's what i always tell my guests it's funny Good. but yeah it's it's a fun segment i get such sure. great feedback from it from it. the audience so um, i'm gonna set my timer and here we go um <laughs> if you could stay in one defensive set, set all game long all season long what the, what type of defense would you play man to man okay uh, most dominating defensive player you've ever coached at any level
1: Dominating defensive player at any level, or well, any pro- any
0: school, I should say, any school that you coached.
1: At. Was probably a kid I had at Fian who went on to play at Babson. Frankie Oftring. He he could change shots. He was about six foot five. He jumped real well. He played on a national championship team at Babson. He he was an. He was good at both ends of the floor, but defensively, yeah, it was probably him. Yep. Awesome.
0: Um, would you rather have a dominant point or a dominant center?
1: I think high school basketball games largely are won and lost by your guards. So I want a kid that's can handle the ball. It's not going to commit turnovers can distribute and cares just as much about the assist as they do about the point total and and just gets as much joy out of that.
0: What was the hardest like gym to go play in place was just always rocking. It was a tough (laughs) atmosphere. What was the toughest place you played in?
1: Well, I would say in the 2000s, Uh, probably for me, was kind of my personal house of horrors, was believe it or not, Coyle Cassidy. They had a coach back then named Mike Watson, who was a tremendous high school coach. And he took a program that historically had kind of been in the doldrums, well, at least for the 80s, 90s and whatnot. And he had a really competitive team. And there were a number of years in a row where I went down to Taunton and played there. We could just not win there. Um, I would say by and large, though, probably, and I only coached here a few times, it was probably Catholic Memorial. It's a narrow court. It's a historic court. They bring in the fans. They're all over you. And not to mention, they have tremendous talent, as <laughs> I'm sure you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. In any sport. So I, I, don't, I never beat them there. I beat them once at home, but I think I was 0-4, I 0-5 I in that Ronnie Perry gymnasium. Dennis just does an outstanding job.
0: What's the biggest difference between coaching boys and girls? <sighs> And I'll give you a chance to explain this because I I know it's a tough one. It's not
1: like I have one thing in mind. Um, I think for me, the toughest thing to realize was that the the young ladies, they want to be challenged. They don't want to be coddled, at least the competitive, where where I am. And so the expectations are always high. They want high expectations. They don't want you to lower the bar and and treat them, quote, unquote, like girls. They want you to treat them like athletes. And I've done that. Uh, I think I have. Um, but you know, there, there, there might've been times last year, I don't think so this year, but where I maybe was like, Oh, I better be careful what I say. But, and, and that's okay because there are times when you do have to be careful what you say to any athlete, boy or girl. Um, but I think just selling out on the idea that largely the methods I use to coach boys are completely appropriate, if not recommended with my female athletes as well.
0: Very good coach. Very good. Um, what would you say the toughest coach you went against in Korea? career?
1: Toughest coach I went against. Oh boy. Well, I already mentioned coach Tobin, but we only played them a few times. Toughest coach I went against.
0: It could be boy, more than one. It might be a second.
1: Um, well, we, we mentioned Stang earlier and they had a coach before coach Santos named coach Balastracci. And we had a very, very good record against them over the years, but he was always changing up defenses and he always made, kept me on my toes and he always made me have to think about what I wanted to do. And, and prepare for a lot of different possibilities. Um, that made me better. And that may have had something to do with why we, we had a lot of success against them because I put a lot of time into those reports and, and what we wanted to do. Um, I, think, um, I think Coach Wool at Attleboro, very, very good friend of mine. So we played against each other in high school. That was a natural rivalry twice a year. And he, we, you know, it was one of those situations where you play against the same coach enough years and we coached against each other over 35 times, you know, in basketball. You know the other team's calls. You know their sets. You know what they like to do. You know what they don't like to do. So when you know someone that well and what they – et cetera, um, it, it's tough to throw in a lot of surprises, and, and it, it's tough to uh, uncover uh, – you know, it's t- tough to get wrinkles by them and things of that nature. So I'll always cherish the memories of those fiend games. They were some of the most fun experiences of my life in coaching. Um,
0: and, and last one I'll ask you, what's the biggest victory in your, in your career?
1: Well, probably, you know, number one was probably the sectional final, uh, which it was my first one because I had had five uh, that year. I won the semis against Foxborough and Coach Gibbs, who I mentioned earlier, uh, who was just a wonderful young guy. And I had lost uh, four other previous semifinals, and the year after we won the sectionals, I lost another semifinal. So I've got the six semis, and I only won one of them. And fortunately, in '015, when I won the semi or we won the semi, I also won the final to get to the Garden. So, and then, you know, and Coach Byron at Olive Ames, that's who we beat at Brockton, is just such a first-class guy and really one of my heroes in coaching. So to be able to defeat one of your heroes in a close, hard-fought game and have him be so classy about it, it just made the whole experience wonderful. Um, I, I mentioned it before, but the one time we beat, the one time we beat CM was, was, always, was always etched in my mind. And we, also, we actually beat BC High one time, Coach Philip. Uh, I'm sorry, Coach uh, Morelli, uh, who has, has long since retired. Uh, we were down we were down big in the in the first half and came all the way. We had lost them by 30 three days earlier. And we beat them at home on a on a buzzer beater in the lane to beat BC High. So that was a that was a that was a special one. That's going way back. It's going way back. But um, so many home tournament games that we hosted, so many of them in the 2000 you know 2010 through 2016 we hosted the first round or two every one of those years. And that gym, when it's full for tournament games, uh, it's a pretty impressive venue. Uh, and I'm not trying to, you know, go back in the memory, memory lane, but I remember some of those games, so many of them where they had to tell people they couldn't come in because it was already packed to the gills and it was hot and it you know, what a great environment for, for a state tournament. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I remember, I remember a game against Duxbury. I can remember, you know, a number of them. And, um, just those those tournament games. Anytime you win a tournament game you just it's cause for celebration yeah it's
0: great it's great it's great to play in front of the home home fans too especially we might only get that one but coach you survived the two-minute drill great job Um, sorry if i
1: got a little long-winded
0: no listen i love it you know i I, listen this is a platform for coaches this is you know pd for a lot of coaches and you work hard listen i'm giving you the stage i I don't care how long it takes you to get out what you need to get out i want you to get it out so um you know i appreciate you i appreciate your time and coming on here and um you know I, i to, to learn about you to hear about you the type of man that you are you know job well done you know this is what coaches are these are the coaches that need to be out there and working with these kids and being that role model and just listen how you talked about your players and you talked about opposing coaches and talked about former players that are now coaches i mean you understand that you understand the entire thing and i think being an educator has a lot to do with that too so you know i commend you i thank you for coming on here it's an honor having you on here and uh you say
1: thank you to you anthony and thank you to beyond x's and o's i think i think what you're doing is a are- is a real service um and i'm planning on well maybe when the season's over going back and watching some of the other episodes you had i think it's going to spark an interest i hope i hope you're able to uh, really build an even greater following and 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 bring in uh, you know a lot of real good people and 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 i i hope to be able to support you in any in any way that i can
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, it's the plan. That's the plan. We're gonna we want to grow every week. And, you know, our audience is growing, I'm getting great feedback. And we're just excited, you know, to sure. me, this is a passion of mine, to, to be able to talk about the two things I love the most, which is, you know, you know, well, one of the two things I love the most, honestly, the thing I love the most, but coaching and, and, and working and working with youth, you know, to, to, to be that role model to be that, you know, person that they look up to, and to re- lead them the right way. That's a huge responsibility. You know, right. you're, you're, you're right. parallel with parents and trying to to make sure that the kids are learning things the right way and doing things the right way and representing themselves both on the field and off the field the way that you expect them to and it's that's tough and and some coaches might not you know some coaches might not think that, but th- that's a tough thing to do. And I think Ooh. there's so many great coaches out there who learn how to balance all of that. And I'm lucky to get them on the show. I've had them on so far. So. Well,
1: I've tried and sometimes I've tried and sometimes I've failed, yeah. but um, you, overall I'm doing okay.
0: You know? Yeah. You're doing great. You're doing great coach. So from beyond Podcast, again, Matt, thank you for coming on today. Uh, from beyond Podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petralas uh, until next week. Thanks so much.